He's accomplished many of the biggest feats in thoroughbred horse racing, yet he's probably the most down-to-earth guy you'll ever meet. In this episode, trainer Dale Roman shares how the wisdom of three legends, Alan Jerkins, Leroy Jolly, and Woody Stevens, shaped his career. This is Racehorses Etc., the podcast celebrating horsemanship. I'm Carolyn Conley. I've covered horse racing on TV for over a decade, exercised some of the best horses in the world, and represented top jockeys. Here, I speak to icons and everyday racing folks to deepen our understanding of horsemanship. Hey, Dale, welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Your resume, we could literally sit here and talk about your accomplishments for hours. You're the all-time leading trainer at Churchill. You've won the Eclipse Award for Outstanding Trainer. And you have wins in the Arlington Million, Breeders' Cup Mile, Preakness Stakes. But this is a show about horsemanship, which happens to be exactly what it took for you to achieve these heights. So when did you first know that you had a special way with horses? I've always been on the racetrack. I mean, like it's, it's well noted that my mother says I was nine months old when she took me into the barn at Churchill Downs that I still have today. But I know as a kid, you know, I had a real problem with education. I had severely uh, dyslexia. And to this day, I'm not very good at reading and writing. But I knew when I went in the barn and fooled with the horses, I was at home. And I always felt like I had a connection with them. And did you have a special horse that you could get along with better than anyone that your dad actually called upon you to help with? Yeah, we used to, he used to call me all the time. I used to load all the horses. That was my job. Even back, I think I was 10 or 11 years old. And uh, he would come and get me sometimes to load them. And I always had luck with, with putting them on the van. And every once in a while, I still was one that acts, acts up a little bit. What do you think that is? I don't. I really don't know. I'll tell you a good story about it. And it's uh, Wayne Lucas and I flew to Indiana one night for the Indiana Derby. And, of course, Wayne Lucas style, we showed up in a plane, and we had a fancy car pick us up and take us to the races. And afterwards, it was 11 o'clock, 1130 at night in a cornfield in Indiana. It started drizzling rain in the fall. I was a favorite, and I ran bad. So I told Wayne, I, said, I got, we, he wanted to go right to the plane. Of course, he wanted to be at the barn the next day at 4 o'clock in the morning. But we went back to the barn to check my horse, and uh, I got out. And there was a couple loading a, a filly on a two-horse a uh, bumper trailer and uh, it, it was you could tell it was old the truck was old the horse they could tell they'd been there a long time horse was soaking wet and the horse wouldn't go on and uh, so i go on right past them go into the barn and i come out and wayne is adjusting the halter in a probably a five thousand dollar suit in the middle of cornfield in indiana uh he's adjusting the halter on this filly this was probably worth less than any pony he'd ever owned in his life. In two or three circles, he took her around. That filly walked straight onto the van. And we got in the car. Tammy told me later, she said she was sitting in the car with him when I was in the barn, and he was just getting more and more <laughs> agitated watching and got out and did it. So we're on the ride back to the airport. He kind of, in the back seat, he elbowed me. He said, they were looking her in the eye. You can't look them in the eye. And that's uh, and that, that, that's true. You You can't push a horse to do anything, but... They'll let you lead them anywhere. And I think one of the keys is ignoring them. If you ignore them, then they, they want to know why you're not getting into their space. And they'll start coming on you, you know, wanting to know, why, why aren't you messing with me? Did it take you a while to figure that out, or was that something innate for you? 
I don't think so. I think it was always, I always kind of figured that out. I always, I remember walking horses as a little kid and it, and it never looked back, just let them follow you. And, uh, I watched a TV show on the other day about how horses can read people's minds. That was kind of crazy on Netflix, but it was interesting. And, and a lot, a few of the things they say made sense. It seemed like sometimes the horses knew what you were thinking. You know, they do that with each other. It seems when they're out in the field. Some type of communication. I don't know if it's reading minds or some level we don't hear. But, uh, yes, they definitely, and they know one another. And they know people. They know who you are. They're a lot smarter than, than we give them credit for. They really seem to respond to energy, too. I've noticed if I maybe had a tough conversation on the phone and then went walking in my horse's stall, they might back away from you. Like, what? what what's up? Well, they, they definitely know when you're relaxed and and. and that's important. I think being relaxed around them is one of the most important things. So if you want to get them to go somewhere, never tense up, never be tense. And, and, and you know, there's very few I'm going to do anything wrong. Tell me about your dad, Jerry Romans. Uh, what part did he play in your horsemanship? Well, his biggest role was introducing me to the racetrack and bringing me to the barn as a little kid. I, I think he, if he was sitting here today, you know, he, he passed away when he was young. He was only 58. I think if he was sitting here today. He'd tell you that horsemanship wasn't his strongest quality. He always used to tell me he wasn't a cowboy. He's a businessman. And he learned to handicap and pick horses out of claiming races and claim and play some reconditioned books. And, uh, I mean, from early on, he kind of turned the barn over to my brother. And I. So who was your biggest influence then when it came to horsemanship? I'd say some of the guys that worked for him, a guy named Roy Dixon that worked for my father and uh all the guys were, were were brothers or cousins or uncles or father and son that worked for my dad for years and I mean I would get dropped off the barn early in the morning and hang out with those guys all day long and Roy he was like a second father to me and he taught me up from how to clean a stall to put a shank on to lead him around to and, and you know they would drink a lot those guys and they'd be a little tipsy and it seemed like the more tipsy they got the more relaxed the horse was and the more relaxed they were so I remember coming in one day, and Roy had had a rough night, I guess, and came in. He was sleeping in the corner of the stall. An old, wild old horse never bothered him a bit. <laughs> what are some of the more memorable things Roy taught you, maybe some methods that we don't see used today? Well, I don't know. I think things are still used. I don't think a lot of stuff has changed. I think, uh, you know, like when I turn around and try to teach somebody, it's uh, it's some of the same old stuff. But it goes back to just keeping them relaxed and keeping them happy. And uh, don't be tense around them. Don't be afraid. He said they, they sense everything. And one of the biggest things, I mean, this was very rudimentary, so if people hadn't worked in a barn, don't, you never pull on a horse. You know, they say the first lesson you have as a, as a hot walker is when they start, if they ever start running backwards, just go with them. Don't try to pull them to you. Eventually, they'll, they'll stop and one probably wonder why you don't pull them to you and then they'll go on and walk right along with you but if you go to fighting and pulling them they they go backwards twice as fast horses natural instinct is just to stay safe they want to eat and they want to be safe and they have predators in the wild so their their only method of staying alive is to flee so they're a flea animal if you don't chase them then they're going to come right back Tammy's your right hand when it comes to working horses and your life partner. You have a couple of kids together and it's always fun to see the two of you together, which is seems like most of the time when you're around the backstretch in the morning. We're always together. <laughs> always. I love that. What part does she play in the horsemanship in the barn and what does she mean to your operation? 
No, it, it, it's a major role. And, you know, she came up the same way I did. So we both grew up in a barn. She grew up on her back. I grew up on the ground. And it's a good compliment to one another. I think there's two different types of horsemanship. There's one of how you handle one on the back of a horse. You'd have to talk to her someday about that. But it, it, it all goes back to easy hands, soft hand, and they'll go anywhere you want. And if you look at the great riders, which I think she's the best in the country, they, they don't fight with the horses. They just go along with them. And eventually the horse will do what you, what you want them to do. And on the ground, it's the same way. You got to shank. You don't fight them. You just you just go along with them. And I've I've watched you with Tammy. You're you're protective of her. She wants to get on whatever horse comes along, and you're like, no, leave that for the other guys. Now she'll ride anything there is and try it once. And I said, you know, you're, you're 55 years old. We got two kids. There's no reason to go out there and get hurt. We have a few rules in the barn. She likes to break them. One is she never gets on a horse first day on the racetrack. And uh, she loves to break all the rules, <laughs> as, as you probably have seen. And your kids. Jake has done such a great job with Joe Talamo as his agent at Oakland Park this winter. And I see you have Joe named on some horses at Churchill Downs. What do you see in that relationship between Joe and Jake? And how about his success? I was very proud of him. He, you know, Joe was a great rider and everybody knew him as a great rider. But, he, you know, he hadn't had the recent success that he had when he first went to California. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. He went to Oakland. They won nine stakes and they end up third leading rider and second in purse money and, and just had a heck of a meet. And I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for a long time. They're two good kids and they both love the game. And yeah, Jake's done a good job. One of the highlights of the winter is Tom Amos called me right after the meet at Oakland. And he said, I just want to call and let you know, cause I like to hear good things about my kids. What a great job Jake did. And he said he was professional. He said it was yes or no on calls and he stuck to them. And I was very proud of him. Is that something that you feel like you instilled in him from an early age to honor the calls? I think I probably instilled with him a way to communicate with a trainer because he was always with me like Tammy and uh, everywhere we went. So he saw all the communications I had without knowing I was instilling anything in him. I think he understood. He probably has a very good idea of how a trainer thinks, how they want to be talked to and what they need done for them. And, hey, and if you need to get off a call, like I've always told him, and I'm sure he's seen it. I've had Terry Miller was my, is my main agent for years and, if he would come in and just ask ahead of time, it's not a problem. It's in the last minute when you want to call up and take off of a horse or if a guy's already committed to his owner that you you need to stay on it. And I think Jake did a good job of that. It's not about always squeezing out every penny. It's about the long, big picture and the long ball. Those are some old, old-fashioned values when it comes to the racetrack. When I talk to the old-timers, respect, honor, decency values that uh we need to hang on to yeah they are they are there's always been you know it's it's there's very few industries where you go out and stand shoulder to shoulder with your good friend but your competitor and so there needed to be respect and honor and there is and people that don't abide by it don't seem to last i don't know why but when you, you go out there and you're respectful to everybody and you you honor your word you'll do well and Jake uh, is so good at being an agent now. Do you think there's any training in his future? Because you need to pass this operation down eventually. Yeah, no, I don't. I think, you know, there's been a, a Romans and Barn for Churchill Downs for over 50 years, but I think I'll be the last one. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing. There's, there's, he, he went his path. There's, he loves horse racing. I don't think he's as infatuated with the horses. And there's two different, they're two totally different things. And I tell Every kid that comes to me and says, oh, I love horses. I want to be in the game. I said, do you love horses or do you love horse racing? And there are two things. If you love horses, you don't mind getting up and early. You don't mind cleaning their stalls. You don't mind uh, giving them their baths. You don't mind feeding them. And, but it can get wearing if you're not a true horse lover. Now, if you love horse racing, I said, there's a lot of opportunities in the game to work outside of the barn. 
What part do you love the most about the 24 hours in a day when it comes to being a trainer? You know, the best thing I think for a trainer, we all want to win. We're all at the race, but there's a lot of stress involved. And you get to a level where it's you're supposed to win. So when you win, the high is not, maybe not as high as it might have been earlier on. And if you lose, the low is as low as it ever was. But in the morning when you see a horse go good for the first time, or if you see a, a young two-year-old and, and, and see how they work, and they move so good, and their recovery time's quick, and I get two thumbs up from Tammy. Well, the day can't get any better than that, because I know the future's going to be good. Tell me about a recent win that didn't happen at the finish line, something that you'd been kind of mulling over, maybe lost sleep over with a horse, something that needed to be adjusted or changed or fixed, that when you found that method that things changed. Patio Prado was one that was just a, a decision that needed to be made that I think looking back on it might have changed. He could have changed his whole career, which he ended up being a multiple grade one winner stallion. And that was when he hadn't broken his maiden yet. And I was at Gulfstream Park and I really wanted to run him a mile and eight. There was a stake the same day as the maiden race. And I had a lot of confidence in him, even though he'd run three or four times and hadn't broke his maiden. I knew he was sitting on a big race and deciding to run him in that stake that day. And he ended up winning might've been a decision that in a, in a day that to change his whole career. And, and, you know, maybe if we had run in the maiden race and things would have all been different, but once he broke his maiden in the stake, it was on to the races and he generated a lot of money. Another one was like Shackelford. He was, he ran terrible in the fountain of youth and it couldn't figure out why he came back and he trained great. Usually you find an excuse or a reason or something to fix. And you have a little more ammunition for the next start. I could not find a thing wrong. He just ran bad. So when he came back and worked so good, I made a decision running back in the Florida Derby at 60 to one and he gets beat ahead and he was off to the races and on to the Kentucky Derby was fourth and he wins the Preakness where if I didn't just go on with it, you know, who knows what, where Shockford would have been or what would have happened with him because he would, have, would not have made the Kentucky Derby without making that decision. How hard is it as a trainer to trust your gut on that level and just say, listen, this is how we're doing it. And this is what I see. It gets easier and easier the older you get and the less you care about what people think. Uh, I always say, you know, if I'm record saying, you, you go back to my first derby with Sharp Humor, I, I don't think I did him the best job he could be done because I was doing a lot of things like I thought the press thought I wanted to. And uh, and later on, I, after that derby, I said, that'll never happen to me again. I said, I'm going to do it my way. If it works, it works. If it not, uh, we won't. It won't. But ever since then, I've just do my thing. Shackelford was one of my favorites. Talk about a stunning chestnut. He was as handsome as they come. And you have a horse in the barn right now that I just think is so cool. I watched him train at Gulfstream, and then I watched him win on uh, the 29th of February in the Gulfstream Park Mile, and that's Mr. Freeze. What can you tell me about him? You know, that's another one. We love Mr. Freeze. And, you know, we, we bounce back and forth. Is he, work, is he a mile horse, a miler, or a mile and an eight? Can he go the mile? Well, he's made a million dollars going a mile eight, I tell everybody. So everybody tries to put him in a box of only a miler. And, uh, but there's a horse that, that was really good as a three-year-old, and he had a little throat issue. We had to do a throat procedure on him, surgery. And it came back, it worked. And, and look at what he's done ever since. He's just gotten better and better. He's getting back to the barn today. He was in Arkansas with uh, Kelly Von Himmel was looking after him for me after he ran down there. He just got back, and we're kind of waiting to see what the stake schedules look like around the country when they, re when they adjust them and, and see where we'll go with him. Yeah, he is a cool horse. He just has a presence about him. And Keen Ice was another one of my favorites of yours. He was a cool horse. 
talk about accomplishment. He beat the Triple Crown winner in the Traverse Stakes, beating American Pharaoh. How did the fans receive that, Dale? You know, it's the day of the draw. I was just messing around and I said, I want to thank Chris Kay for, because he had limited the number of patrons that could come to Saratoga that year. If you remember, I said, I just want to thank Chris Kay for limiting the number of people that are going to be booing me after the race when I beat American Pharaoh. And, uh, they, you know, that's, I say those things when they have the draws at night for some reason, but he ended up winning and I walked back with him. I didn't stay for the trophy presentation. I didn't stay for the press conference. I went back with the horse and it was unbelievable how he got cheered up there and it showed, you know, racing fans respect a big performance, no matter what. And like I said, we've won a lot of big races and it's hard to say which one was more exciting than the next, but that will definitely be the most historic. That'll be one they're talking about for a while, I think. I think fans love to see good competition. Too. They love good performances. Good performances. Yeah. He ran. A, he had a great performance. He, he had to have a great performance to beat a Triple Crown horse, and it was no knock to American Pharaoh. And uh, that was funny. That day, the, the first call I really took, I mean, I started getting my phone was blowing up, but the first call I answered was Bob Baffert. Really? And uh, yeah, he just called to say congratulations. He said, "If I got beat, I'm glad it's you." He, you know, he's a good friend, and I thought that was pretty classy. That's awesome. I love Bob for that. That's cool. And you clearly wouldn't have run Keen Ice unless you thought he was doing really well. And as a trainer, as a horseman, aside from blood work and lameness exams, how do you assess how a horse is doing? You you can just see sometimes change. You can just see how when when they're really starting to flourish. But that was a horse that never had a bad day. He came in as a two-year-old. We had a bunch of expensive horses that year. And right off the bat, Tammy says, this is your best one. I didn't see it early on. I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't see it quite like she did because because he's a freight train. He's not a Ferrari. He was just big and strong. <laughs> and maybe he didn't have the fastest half-mile works or blow you away. But she just told me all the time how much power she felt under when she was awning. And, you know, we made a lot of money chasing American Farrell. They never, they're not going to talk about Keen Ice the days he got beat by American Farrell, but they'll always talk about the day he beat him. He was a powerful horse, a big block. I mean, he was big, strong. Yeah. You know, if he'd had a better trip in the Derby, he'd have definitely hit the board. He had a he had a terrible Derby trip. and then, But we chased Farrell around, ran third against him in the Belmont, and they increased the purse at the Haskell. We went over there and ran second against him, and then they increased the purse in the Travers. He made me a lot of money, American Farrell. Well, Dale, you have been so active on social media. You're really promoting the game. You don't miss an opportunity to do that. Where does that come from, and how important is it to you to leave a legacy? Well, I mean, you say that, but to tell you the truth, I've, in my life, I've never sent an email. I don't know. I couldn't figure out how to get on one social media platform. But I have a lot of people around me who do and enjoy it. And they kind of, my girls that work for me kind of got a story started, Laura Hernan, and then we end up hiring somebody that's a specialist in social media. And I don't see it ever adding to the business side of things, but you're right. It promotes the game. And, uh, you know, I think that that's the future of our, our industry. This game is so well made for social media, for the internet. It's a picturesque game. Statistics, people love to study says. I think that's where our future is going to be. And after we got started doing it, it seemed to be, it's become pretty popular. It's a, and it's a fun thing. It is fun. And it's nice to have an inside look at the stable. You've brought that to life before with videos where people can experience what's going on. That's what we try to do. And you know, the first big thing we ever did in social media, was a whole team of guys came up and, and followed King ice around. And that whole week of that, we've got great footage of, 
the entire week of keen ice leading up to beating American Pharaoh. Well, he says I'm going to do something with it. And I'll tell you the story about that, too. When I got back to the barn, one of the highlights of my career, the stand at the end of the barn was one of my heroes as a kid, the legend Leroy Jolly, to give me a hug and congratulations. And uh, that, that's even, I think, is recorded. And then that, after that evening, we're just hanging around the barn. Before we left, I had Leroy sit down and they videotaped him telling the entire story of the match race between Foolish Pleasure and Ruffy and how it became about, how it changed uh, along the way when they were after the concept and how it, it ended. Of course, we all know it didn't end the greatest, but it, it's to me, that's great history. And I've got some really good footage of Alan Jerkins, another good friend and a hero of mine, that uh, just sitting around talking about horse racing. And, and, and it's, it's pretty interesting. He's We're sitting around one day, he's talking about beating Secretariat at Saratoga after he had won the Triple Crown. And Alan, Alan passed away before, you know, we got to beat a triple crown winner. But I would love for him uh, to been around one more year and had the conversation after that race. If you could pick up the phone right now and call Alan and ask him anything that had to do with horses or Leroy, what would it be? You know, it's hard to say one thing right now, but they were both of them. I picked their brains on everything that I was doing back in those days along the way. But you'd have to have a bump in the road to ask him about and uh, they, they, they were just both great horse people, lovers of horses, and, and, and historians. They're the history of the game, for me, anyway. Did they ever give you a piece of advice that surprised you? Like, wait a minute, do that to heal this? Or Alan gave me a lot of advice about you. Leroy's advice was train your horse. He said one of the problems today is people don't train them enough. And, soundness, and fitness equals soundness. And after Keen Ice's work before the Travers, Leroy was sitting with me in the golf cart and watched him work. He said, you may have just won the race today because he worked fast and you let him run. He's going to be ready. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And, and you know, one of the best things Alan told me is one time at Gulfstream Park, I was in a slump with and uh, come back to the barn. I'm whining. Him and I would get in the golf cart. Our barns were next to one another. We'd circle during feed time. We'd circle around the barns. And I was whining about how much the game had changed. And he, I, I thought he was going to whine with me because he loved to whine. And all he did was he snapped at me. He said, the game's changed since I've been on the, in the game. He said, since he was 17. He said, it's changed every year or two since then. I've changed my feed program seven times. He either quit whining and change with it or get out. And then he kicked me out of the <laughs> cart and he went home. Put up or shut up. Put up or shut up. You got to change with it, quit whining, either fix it or go on. What's the most impressive thing you ever saw Alan do with a horse? I tell you, I don't know what the horse, but I thought one of the most impressive things was when I had uh, when I had roses in May. Of course, Alan changed his father, Devil is Due, and uh, he was just walking the racetrack one of the first days I had him at Gulfstream Park, and Alan rides up to me. He said, "Who is that horse by? Is that a devil?" I said, "How in the heck would you know that's Devil is Due?" He said, "Because he looks just like him and looks like all of his babies." And another thing that impressed me with Alan, Alan told me one time that he. He had his, he would do some stuff with the feet and horse that was bad footed. He would soak their feet in white gas. And I don't know what it did or what it does. And sometimes it still does. But he, he told me another one of my heroes that uh, I did work for, for a little while, but I didn't get to know like these guys was Woody Stevens. He said, Woody had heard about him working on the feet and came over and had him teach him how to do that. And I thought any trainer that taught Woody Stevens something is pretty special. How about that? And what do you remember most about Woody? You know, when I was, I was only 19 when I was down there and I was only there for a few months. And I thought 
you know, we get away from these claiming horses at Beulah Park and go down there and, and work with good horses that don't have ankles, don't have knees, that don't have, you know, that you don't have to baby along. And I got down and realized horses are horses. Just some of them are faster than others, and it, they all had the same issues. Another thing about him, he was he was just as good to his help as he was his clients. And all his help had been with him forever. And I always thought that was very impressive and, and uh, always wanted to feel like I treated my help as good as he treated his. How do you train your help? How do you instill your values in them? Well, you know, most of them are Hispanic these days, and they're good people. Most of them have been with me forever. And I think that if that they'll follow the leader, everybody does. And So if you have a way of doing things, then people kind of pick up and start doing it the same way. My main assistant and I have been together since we were kids, so it's not like I had to instill anything. And, and you know, we go through, you go through people. Some of them don't last because they just aren't good at what they do or aren't good workers. But the ones that are good, they've been around forever. If there's one piece of advice that you could give to a young trainer coming up about horsemanship, what would you tell them? Well, there's a couple of things. I think one of the biggest things in horsemanship, especially in horse racing, is learning how to pick a racehorse. And everybody says, well, I like this about a horse, and I like that about a horse. Well, honestly, I think it doesn't matter what you like. It's fact. There's only a few types of shapes of horses that are going to be successful racehorses. And without getting into too deep, there's about five things they have to have to be a racehorse. And, you know, Wayne Lucas is another one. Go back to him again. Him and I talk about that all the time. If they don't have those things, I'll just give, for example, one. So they don't have a long enough neck. You wouldn't even think about that. Maybe if you're a novice, then they're not going to be a racehorse. And if, I would tell them to be coming up, learn how to buy a racehorse. Learn what a fast racehorse is supposed to look like, and that'll take you a long way. And then just, like you said, keep respecting your elders and learning as you go. And don't get discouraged. you got to get up every day and go back at it. This game will beat you down sometimes. You know, you're, you're losing a lot. A lot of times you're losing. But get back up and go back to work. I love it. Dale, thank you so much for taking the time today. Appreciate it. Anytime. I'm glad to see you doing this. You needed to be back promoting the game, and we appreciate what you're doing. Awesome. Well, you take care. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Racehorses, Etc. Please go to carolynconley.com and become a Racehorses Insider. We'll keep you up to date with exclusive content and more. That's it for now. Remember, until we meet again, enjoy the horses.